In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is, and who was, and who is to come. Amen. Over the last few years, I've gotten into this uh, reading thread uh, about various kings and queens in England from like the late medieval ages, 1300s to the 1500s. It started like randomly, Kindle had a thing for $1.99 about Isabella. Isabella, French princess, right? She's the one that's depicted in Braveheart. Um, she really was real. She didn't know William Wallace. But, um, and she really was married to Edward II, the bisexual kind of kooky son of Edward I. Um, anyway, so I read a couple about Isabella, then read about Edward III, who was considered a great king, and that just led to other things, Mary, Queen of Scots, Anne Boleyn, and then most recently, and the staff's heard me talk about this, most recently, um, the six wives of Henry VIII. And um, all that's to say there are several striking things in reading uh, this, this history, and that includes like the absolute power of the monarch in that time. Absolute power of the monarch. And how that power was used to maintain power, to maintain the throne, to secure the throne. Um, I mean, you, if you saw Braveheart, which was quite gruesome, you saw the end, and that was real. That's what happened to peep, uh, for treason. I mean, they didn't just like, secretly kill you. They publicly, like, went to the nth degree. It was unbelievably brutal. Um, But also that power was used to um, manipulate the path to the throne, especially if there was any questions about who deserved to sit on the throne. And so those of you that have that know your Anglican history, um, know that one of the reasons we're even sitting here as an Anglican church was because of Henry VIII's struggle uh, about his, his need, his fanatical, maybe sociopathological need for a male heir. Killed two of his wives. Annulled or divorced two of them. I mean... But that's how important this issue about the throne and who's on the throne and how you get to the throne uh, would happen. No male heirs, or no heirs, excuse me, I mean, definitely would mean violence was coming of, of some sort. At the time, a daughter, queen, queens were a possibility. They just didn't, like, secure the throne the way all the men thought the throne should be secure. Just, just side note, to be clear, yeah, good point. And that's to set this up. One of the greatest, most enduring, most secure thrones England ever, ever knew was Henry VIII's daughter, Elizabeth I. Just, just saying. Something like this intrigue and threat and power and control is going on in Pilate's interview with Jesus that we heard on this Christ the King Sunday. 
right? This interview basically during his trial the night before he was crucified. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? What is going on in Pilate's mind or heart? Well, Pilate is there. He's the governor of Jerusalem, set there by the Roman Empire to keep peace and that Jerusalem would be um, a place in Rome's best interest, not in the Jews' best interest. And Pilate is probably thinking, um, do you have a claim to the Jewish throne? Do you have like a bloodline or inheritance claim to this throne? Because if not, then you're probably planning to take it by rebellion and violence. And, and anyway, G- Jesus says like, who told you I was king of the Jews? And Pilate says, well, your own people are saying that. Your own people are suggesting that you're leading, fomenting a rebellion by violence to take over uh, the rightful Jewish throne here in Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say? He says, my kingdom is not of, the wor- of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But, and he repeats what he began with, but slightly differently, but my kingdom is not of the world. So I want to make a few points about this kingdom and this king this morning, this Christ the King Sunday, as we move into Advent and express our longing for the king to come and make everything right and everything new. First, Jesus already had a kingdom. Did you hear what he says to Pilate? My kingdom is. He he already was ruling a kingdom of some kind. My kingdom is not of this world. And by that, he means not from this world. It doesn't mean my kingdom is not going to be here. He means my kingdom is not like what you think about kingdoms. Again, Jesus is being, Jesus is captive, so he's a captured king, and he's being interrogated for his very life. He's saying his kingdom is not like anything you know about, Pilate. And in fact, it's really not like the kingdom of David or Solomon, for that matter. It's more like leaven in flour or a seed in the ground or treasure hidden in a field. Jesus began his kingship on the day of his baptism. That's when his father anointed him, not unlike David being anointed long before he took up his visible reign by Samuel. He was anointed. You are my son, the one in whom I delight. You are the anointed one. That's the Christ, right? That's Messiah. That's the Savior King of not just Israel, but of the whole world. And yes, 
Jesus is the legitimate king. He is the son. He is the one who deserves the throne by virtue of his being the son of God, whose kingdom always was and always will be. And yes, he could establish it by violence. But he says, I came to bear witness to the truth. And that's not what the kingdom of God is like. In fact, that's not good news. A kingdom established by violence and control is not the kingdom of God, the kingdom of shalom, the kingdom of flourishing, the kingdom of peace. So, Jesus already had a kingdom when Pilate was was interviewing him. Secondly, Jesus' kingdom, as we said, is not of this world. That is, not from this world. Interestingly, then, when he says otherwise, if it was like the kind of kingdoms you're thinking about, my people would be fighting, which they started to do in the garden, if you remember. Ear cut off. Um, When he ends that, that first, uh, his first response, um, it actually says, and I don't know why the ESV doesn't have this word in there, the word now is in there. So he says, otherwise my people would be fighting for me. But then he says, but now, which should be in our text, maybe it's in some other versions, and it doesn't repeat the word world like the ESV says. Literally what it says is, but now my kingdom is not from here. Or, but now my kingdom is not from this place. What is Jesus saying? Its origin is not from this world. It's not a vote. It's not even acclamation. This is, uh, it comes from another realm. It comes from God himself. Its authority is not given from this world. Its values and its operations are not derived from this world, and neither is its telos or its consummation have anything to do with the world and its ways. That is, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not established, upheld, advanced, or consummated by anything that you can imagine or you can think of. It's beginning to sound a little bit like Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, when Paul says this message about a crucified Christ, a crucified Messiah, a crucified Savior King is foolishness and powerlessness to the world. But in fact, it's the wisdom and power of God to save. Amen. Thanks be to God. So it's not of or from this world, but it is for this world, and it is in this world. Don't miss that. Bumping further into Revelation, we're just going to touch a little bit on Revelation 1, but I want to call attention to Revelation 11:15. It's one of the great lines in Handel's Messiah, 
which I will start binging on next Sunday. It's part of my Advent discipline. Handel's Messiah. And it goes like this, uh, Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. Here's the consummation. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. (coughs) Sorry. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You know the first place that in the Bible it says he shall reign forever and ever? It's on the banks of the Red Sea. Moses sings, the Lord is king over Pharaoh and his armies, and he shall reign forever and ever. And here's the consummation of that we read about in Revelation, which actually was pointed to, uh, no, we'll come back to that, right? And so I call your attention to that. Interestingly, in the song that follows, the last line praises the Lord, who is the destroyer of the destroyers. That's where it's going. Those who are destroying the flourishing of God's world, the shalom of the people God made and loves. Third, while the kingdom has not, we, we haven't reached Revelation eleven fifteen yet. We actually have reached Daniel 7. Did you hear Daniel 7? The beasts were slain, and I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven to the ancient of days, and he received a kingdom. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He has received his kingdom from the Father, but it has not come into its right consummation or fulfillment. But listen to what is going on here, just in this introduction to Revelation. Twice we hear in this opening about him who is and who was and who is to come. And the second time we hear he's the Alpha and the Omega, in other words, the A to the W and everything in between, who is and who was and it was to come. Now, that's an odd way. In two ways, that's an, odd way, that's an odd phrasing. Number one, we would say who was and is and will be. But the Spirit says who is and who was and who is to come. What the Lord seems to be saying to a people that are struggling uh, to live their lives in Christ in the midst of the Roman Empire and its oppression, that's the context of the book of Revelation. It's to strengthen the people. (laughs) Uh, That's my next point. Um, 
well, we'll just go there, to strengthen the people to bear witness no matter what the cost. And in that Revelation passage that you heard read, Jesus is actually called the faithful witness. That's the word in the Greek, martyr. One who speaks the truth, who testifies not only with their words, but with the way they live their lives. But I still haven't finished. The, that's the fourth point. Sorry, we'll come back to it. The, the third, so the first is Jesus already had a kingdom on the night that he, on the day he was killed. He already had a kingdom. Secondly, it's not from this world, but it's for this world, and it and is, is and will be in this world. The third is that he's the king now, and he is with you and for you. This is, we are, I'm suggesting, and one of my favorite writers about Revelation says, that's why it says is, was, and is to come. It's wanting to emphasize he is the king now, and he is with you, and he is for you, and he will never abandon you. This kingdom thing is not just some, like, you know, interesting idea off in another realm. He's the king. Totally different kind of king. We still don't really get what kind of a king he is. But he is, and he's here. He's with you and for you. He is, the king who is. Lastly, so we, 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 we hear in the gospel, he's king of the Jews. In Revelation, that he's the ruler of kings on earth. Really? That is ruler of kings on earth. Remember when Revelation was written. Caesar was Lord, and yet this is asserting Jesus is the ruler of Caesar. He's the ruler of kings on earth. Doesn't look that way. How's he advancing his kingdom? What's his plan? Well, the fourth thing is that he's a king, and his kingdom is one that bears witness to the truth. Bears witness to the truth. What Jesus is saying, standing there before the most powerful man in Jerusalem, is let me, I'm going to show you in the next few hours and few days what God's kingdom looks like. You'll see the truth about power, about flourishing, about freedom, everything Rome like says they stand for, you're going to see it in the next few hours and days. As I bear witness to the truth, not only with my words, but how I live my life. And what the whole book of Revelation arguably is about, and what Jesus is laying before us as a, as a, a, a model, an example for us to live is that's how the kingdom advances. And we still really don't get that. 
I mean, certainly medieval, late medieval England didn't get it. We still don't get how returning good for evil can actually cause the undermining of evil. We don't really get how posturing for control and being right and being one up can actually cause the flourishing of God's good creation and the people he made and loves. We're called to bear witness to the truth in what we say and how we live lives that look like Jesus' life. So how do we do that? Well, there's a hint in Revelation, and that is he's washed us clean by his blood and made us what? A kingdom and priests to serve our God. What do priests do? Priests at their best bear witness to the truth. Priests at their best point to the only sacrifice that can take away the sins of the world. Priests at their best image God to the people and bring the people to God. Not in a crusading, you will believe, with a sword to the neck, but modeling through service, courage, kindness, and self-sacrificing love. He's advancing the kingdom through the priestly work of his people. I quoted chapter 11 of Revelation. Chapter 12 makes this statement, which many of you know by heart, um, but I'll go back one verse. We read in Revelation 12, verse 10, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown them day and night before our God. And then it says how. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, by their witness. Same word. By their witness, martyr. For they loved not their lives even unto death. When it says they conquered by the blood of the lamb, what revelation means by that? is disciples of Jesus being killed just like Jesus was. It it doesn't mean like claiming the blood for forgiveness. And that's a good and fine thing to do. I'm not like, I'm I'm not trying to speak bad about that. But this is an identification with the slaughtered lamb who gave his life to save the world. That I will keep speaking the truth. I will return good for evil. You're going to have to kill me to shut me up but I will not play your game of power to power, of upsmanship, downsmanship, and, and, and fill in the blank. It is, Revelation 12 is another act, it's another stanza of what we see and hear in the gospel today. Not dominating, but exposing and disarming our enemies through truth and kindness, through prayer and blessing, and as I've said, returning good for evil. Well, how do we do this? 
Really, that's another sermon. But I will point to John chapter 3. We were, I was discussing this with Brooke last night, and she's like, let me show you something. And she played for me the scene from The Chosen in uh, the scene with Nicodemus and Jesus. That's the only other place in the book of John where the word kingdom is even mentioned. John likes the phrase eternal life. But the only other place in the book of John besides what we heard today is Nicodemus like inquiring about this amazing rabbi miracle worker. And Jesus says, the only way to get into the kingdom is by being born from above of water and the spirit. You don't fight your way in. You don't get in by the right answers. You don't get in by being better than others. It's by being born from above, receiving a new heart. And how do you do that? The verse most people know, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son. His only son, the king, the true heir of all things, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Radical trust in him, staking your whole life on him, trusting him and asking him to free you from the tyranny, not of Rome, but of sin and death and making you new inside. Pilate did not know the truth and did not recognize the truth standing right in front of him. He capitulated to the powers, played according to the rule of control and power and dominance in order to try to keep the peace in Jerusalem. Little did he know that he played right into the hand of God because this was how God was making peace. May it be true for us. This way.